You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lost in America. I'm Mike Kaplan. And I'm Turner Sparks. You can find me at Kaplan America on all social media platforms. And you can find Turner at... What's it, Turner Sparks? Uh, Turner Sparks? Oh, you're blowing <laughs> this already. It's <laughs> 305 episodes in. I says, Cap, let's give Kaplan <laughs> a shot at introing the show. And immediately doesn't know my social media, at Turner Sparks on Instagram. You know what it is? I know it's at Turner Sparks, but I was thinking, I was like trying to remember if there was an X or not. I was going to say, because you had the email address. No, I got all confused. No, I'm right, sorry. That's just I blew it. Email. <laughs> now you're I'll giving do it away again my email next address. Next time, in the 500th episode, I'll do the intro again. And I'll get it right. Well, I figured, Cap, we got to get you to do the intro because you yeah. need as much airtime right now as possible because you're not in the rest of this show. I'm not going to be in this episode. This is a very special episode. Yeah. So just this for my fans the, out there, you might want to turn it off. <laughs> I'm dying. This is World's Smartest Podcast Network Roundtable we're doing today, everybody, with uh, the great Andrew Heaton, Professor Andrew Heaton from the, the, the uh, Political Orphanage. I mean, now you're podcast. blowing it. Yeah. Flagship political, show on the World's political Smartest Orphanage. Podcast Network. And... Dr. Andrea Jones Roy from the Majoring in Everything podcast. You know her. And uh, and me and no Kaplan no because Kaplan, Kaplan had to sell a house. He's got to make a living at some point. I was trying to pay the bills. I they I wasn't gonna I don't usually, you know, drop anything for a podcast, but they said it's a cash offer. I said cash gonna offer. Show up. they're gonna bring a, a bag of money that's <laughs> that's gonna show up at the door and hand it to me. And I said, All right, place will be sold. You know, so. I was telling Kaplan this off air, but when I was a child, we moved. Gary Sparks moved us out of a house just abruptly out of nowhere. <laughs> the, the home we grew up in, our childhood home, very, very. Uh, uh, it's it, it hits your heart as, just, as an eight year old yeah. because he comes home one day. He goes, everybody, guess what? We sold the house. And, and I said, said it wasn't even for sale. Was, <laughs> it was on sale. He goes, they had a cash offer. And so out of nowhere, we had to move into this like rental house kind of. It was covered in mold. We all got mm. pneumonia. And yeah, we had to live there for 18, as a result. <laughs> we had to live there for 18 months until these contractors like rushed to build us a new house out in the woods because Gary had a cash offer. So I know cash offers are important. I've always known. Yeah, that. if you're up in the Sacramento area and you want to get a hold of this house that they built, just show up with a with a, buy, a bag of cash and Gary Sparks. <laughs> just My sell parents' it. house. <laughs> Your parents' house is for sale tomorrow. If you show up with a duffel bag full of cash, <laughs> he'll go, Murder, we're moving. They had a cash we're offer. Moving. We're living on the car for next year. Florida, Arizona, we'll figure it out. Yeah, they're gonna show up at your so, house in Brooklyn and be like, "We we got a cash offer. We had a we got a cash offer." <laughs> so anyway, you you uh, are working on. I asked if you sold. You said they're still working on it, but it was a cash yeah. offer. They showed up at a Starbucks with a duffel bag in the Upper West Side. Upper East Side. They showed up at the apartment with a bag of with a with a briefcase. They just opened it up and it glowed. It was like Pulp Fiction. I said, it was now like full fiction, just full of gold bars. <laughs> yes, uh, and they said, does so, this mean anything to you? Yeah, and I was sitting there Money eating a burger. Talks. It was very strange. No, anyway. Uh, so today, yeah. we'll get into it in a minute. But um, So Cap couldn't join us, but Heaton and, and Andrea and I talk about, uh, you, you remember the comedian uh, Hannah Gadsby? 
Um, yes, and I don't want to go too far into it, but we talk about her. She, you'll hear more about it later, but everybody follow all of us. This is the world's smartest podcast network round table. Um, of course, Andrew Heaton, the political orphanage you can check out. Uh, all these are on your phone, just whatever podcast player you use. And Andrea Jones, Roy, the majoring in everything podcast. We are lost in America. Kaplan. I think let's, let's get, unless there's anything Patreon? I'm missing here. Let's get well, to the, oh yeah, Patreon. Excuse me. And of course, yeah. Cap and I are doing our full throttle comedy pat podcast, Lost in the Bunker, a couple times a week over there, patreon.com slash lost in America. There's a link in the description of this show. Click that link and you can sign up. That'll get you uh, for five bucks a month. You get that show. Plus, you get the these uh, off the record shows. Off the record episodes. Yeah. Once a month, we have a comedian on and we just discuss a guest, someone who's been on Lost in America. And we discuss stuff they couldn't say on the air. When they were with yeah, us, yeah. If you so. would have signed up, and they're ne- these are non-recorded. And the last shows. episode we did was no joke, probably better than any loss in America we've done in in a long time. It was fantastic. So you guys all yeah, missed we had out Anton Tymoshenko in Kiev, Ukraine, and the the thing is, they're all going to be better than any lost in America we America we could do because of the fact that they're not being recorded. So these comedians yeah. are free, free to flowing. say anything they want to say, and not only that. You as the listener, you as the Patreon subscriber, you're in the Zoom. It's a Zoom chat. You get to ask them questions. You get to ask them whatever oh, yeah. you want to hear. Aaron Welch was in there last time asking he had some questions. questions. Hard hitting yeah, questions. Yeah, a lot of questions that you, he said, well, you might not be saying this on the air, but what do you think about X? And then yeah. Anton could take time. There's no pressure to get the word out right away because dead air or anything. He could, take, he could think about it. Mm-hmm, I've never thought about that before, yeah. but here's what I would, here's my opinion. He said, you're right. Putin is a great leader. No, he didn't say that. But. He did not say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say. So all that, patreon.com slash lost in America. And it helps or you us can show up at my house. doing this show. You could also what? show up at my house with a bag of money, and I will sign you up for you if you just give me that. But yeah, patreon.com slash lost in America. Or my house with a bag of money. <laughs> Why does you it have to be your house with money? I'll take people's money. All right. I was going to share it. Anyway. And since you're not going <laughs> to hear me on this episode, can I say get lost? <laughs> anyway. No, don't get lost. We're just starting the show. Oh, get to, Let's get bye. to the show. Get to the episode. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I am here. I'm Turner Sparks from the Lost in America podcast. I am here with Andrew Heaton from the Political Orphanage. How you doing, Andrew? I'm great, Turner. If I were any better, I'd be Turner or maybe even Andrea Jones-Roy. Oh, oh, you know, on our show, on our show, we call you Professor Andrew Heaton. <laughs> Nice. Only because only because we we whenever we introduce the shows on the World Smartest Podcast Network, all of our shows, we always say Doctor Andrea Jones Roy mm-hmm. uh, from the Majoring in Everything podcast, and then it feels a slight to not give you a title, mm. and you do feel like a professor. I, I feel like one. I, I will defer to Andrea, the actual professor on this. However, I know of a title you could quasi give me that I, there's at least no, more merit to. When I was over in the Baltics last summer, I went to a. Uh, self-proclaimed independent republic called Uzapis. Sure. Uh, U- Uzapis is a uh, Uzapis. Uh, is its, its own little. It's, it's basically like imagine a neighborhood inside of the capital going, "Fuck it, we're our own country," and kind of right. ran with it. And I met with the foreign minister just to chat with him about it. And uh, he was real squirrely when he when I told him I was a journalist. And then after about twenty minutes, like we were talking about something, I was like, "Honestly, man, I'm a comedian. I didn't think you'd meet with me if I told you I'm a comedian. I, I'm, I'm not really a journalist." And he was like, "Oh, great." Then he really warmed up to me at the end. He went, uh, uh, "We already have an ambassador to America. Do you want to be the comedy ambassador?" And I was wow. like, "Is that so? Is that what I'd be?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah, you'd be our ambassador." I think it's like 
ambassador of comedy to Texas or something like that. It's like very specific. Wow. Or what? Well, I have an ambassador according to somebody who's not me. Fantastic. Okay. You know what it reminds me of? Do you know when you go to Key West, they claim they're an independent country. Oh, Do they? they? And they've done that before. Every, every, every They like- seceded at one point for like six months in the 1700s. Yeah. The Conch Republic is what they called themselves. And yeah, why yeah, yeah. did they come it- back? Oh, I think it ran out of steam real okay. quick. Yeah. Well, no, they, 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 they do this every, up. every 20 years. The, the governor of Key West or mayor, whatever he is, like runs out of transportation money and then threatens to secede from America unless we give it more money. Like this is a, this is yes. a, a, a tradition in Key West to I threaten see. secession regularly. And the third voice you're hearing is uh, Dr. Andrea Jones-Roy of Hello. Majoring in Everything podcast. What's Dr. up? Dr. Andrea, how are you doing? I am good. I'm very good. Uh, Heaton, statistically, you're the most professorial person I know. So I think that that's Thank uh, you. Yeah, a statistical professor, as we could call you. Can uh, I ask a question? Yeah. And apologies if this should have been an off-air question. But are you still at NYU? I'm not. Uh, you wouldn't know it I from the sure. fact that okay. I'm wearing an NYU T-shirt right now. But uh, are we breaking news with that question? Well, somewhat. Does, everyone, yeah. does the general public? Wait, know? hold on. I am so hoping that you've gone full time circus. That is what uh, I'm hoping. I, I, I I'm wish. hoping you are now full time circus, Cirque du Soleil, something like that. What's up? Yeah, yeah. I wish. I uh, yeah, starring on Broadway in a, a waterfall covered in sequins. Uh, no, but I am, I am leaving NYU. It's, it's not a secret, but it's like a slow dismount. Like I negotiated with them for a while and decided to go my own way, but I'm still employed by them through the end of the summer. So I'm not teaching anymore and I'm going to be in need of some health insurance pretty soon, but I'm, uh, I'm on, I'm on my way out and trying to figure out, uh, what's next, including very likely a political science podcast coming back. Uh, so Ooh, so stay idea. tuned for that. Uh, I'm done talking to Gen Z. I got to talk to people my own age. Wait, so Andrea, yeah. are, are you yeah. now a rogue professor or you I will a be rogue a professor. rogue professor? Yes, indeed. I like this. So you need to become, isn't that what like Jordan Peterson and all those people I think are? so, yeah. I, I, they're, uh, they're, they're professors in name like they used to be. Like you call someone coach for their whole life. Even right, they or like chef or something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colonel Maestro. professor. Yeah, yeah, rogue professor. That's the idea. So if well, anyone knows- in history, history tells us this is when you make the big bucks. Well, that's the idea. Rogue. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done yeah. with that NYU money. We're going for Spotify money uh, or sponsored a- post Andrea, money. You, you know what you need to do is get fired, right? If you're already leaving <sighs> and yeah. you're, you're, about to, you're about to go back into media, you realize that if you could say something that's a little bit ambiguous that gets you in super trouble with a mm-hmm. bunch of pointy-headed Gen Zers. It can only mm-hmm. help your career at this point, right? You know what I should do? With what an easy one would be would be to use the Chinese word for that one in a public context. I'm not even saying I, it now. I dare not say it out loud, so but I. You know, if, I'm going with this, Turner. If, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's it yes. sounds suspiciously like the the word that ends your career in America. Is that right? That's like the one. A racial slur. Yeah. And I think yeah. a business professor in California got fired for it. So that, yeah. that's an easy one, and I could justify it because I say, "Oh well, I I study Chinese and da da da." And then I just oh, drop you're right. It. Someone did get someone did get fired for that, and then yeah. and then that launches you into a world of free speech. Exactly, and we should be allowed to say what we want. Exactly. Uh, speaking of that, should we get to today's Let's topic? Do it. Yeah. So, um, Hannah Gadsby recently, you remember her? Uh, she that's the way I like to introduce her. <laughs> she hasn't been relevant since 2017, in my opinion. So she made a big comedy special in 2017. Uh, she's an Australian. Talker, comedian, <laughs> kind of talker person with a, a lot of opinions. And she made this comedy special on Netflix that was for a lot of people the first time we'd ever heard of her. I'm a stand up, we all do stand up comedy. Um, I'd never heard of her before until this comedy special where she announced in the special that she was retiring from comedy 
because it seemingly was like beneath her as far as I could tell. Mm. And she was above it. And as an art form, mm. it wouldn't let her express what she wanted. Uh, meanwhile, I don't think 95% of us knew she was a comedian to start with. So it's confusing when somebody says they're retiring because they're better than you, but you've never heard of them. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's what she started with. And so you, we will have time to, uh, you know, if, if you want me, if I'm wrong, you can. No, we could, we could totally gossip. We could. I Turn love gossiping I, about other people yeah. and, other people yeah. in entertainment, I love gossiping and turning them down a peg. We can absolutely do that. These aren't God. These are facts. Okay. I mean, I never heard of her. Uh, and she did say, I think that was that was the platform that comedy is beneath her, and she got sexually assaulted and wanted to be talk about that in a joke format. But I don't know if she, maybe she didn't want people to laugh or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> point is that all happened in 2017. And then we haven't heard much. Her she did very well off that. That was because it was called the net. It went huge. Didn't hear much. And she, maybe she did a tour or two. Probably sold everything out for a couple of years. And then the pandemic happened. And then a lot in our lives happened. And then we kind of haven't heard from her in the last few years, as far as I can tell. I personally have not heard from her. Most comedians I know have not heard from her. I did hear recently that apparently she put a couple specials out between now and then that I don't think they did as well as the first one. They might have done well with her niche audience. Um, and then now she's back with a uh, she curated a an exhibit, an art exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum, uh, where it's called. Uh, the idea of it is to cancel Pablo Picasso. You remember him? He's a he's a, a artist who died, I believe, fifty years ago or more, and um, she thought he was problematic, and he didn't. I, I don't know exactly why he didn't like women, probably. And um, he didn't like her, I guess. And uh, or people like her. And so she put on this art exhibit to cancel Pablo Picasso, basically being like, he sucks and the world needs to know he sucks. And it's the 50th anniversary of his death is when they decided to do it. And um, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say the idea behind it was to get attention. That would be. I don't think that's wrong. I think a, a lot. I don't even think that's bad. I think people do stuff for attention. If you haven't been in the news since 2017, it's probably you probably want to be back in the news. So this would be a way to do that. And it was seemingly met. Why I wanted to talk about this on this topic uh, on the show is because rather than it was seemingly met with at best disdain for the idea of canceling Pablo Picasso, at worst a shrug to a lot of people didn't even know this happened. So either you didn't know it happened, or if you did know it happened, mainstream general media, like the New York Times, um, and a bunch of art-specific blogs and, and papers and respected, I don't know, journalists in art, all kind of thought this is sort of stupid. Picasso died 50 years ago. And um, beneath that, they kind of went into all the reasons why the artist, a couple of the artists she did feature. So she featured a couple of pieces of art from Picasso and then a lot from women who the idea being, I think instead of focusing on how great Picasso was, what about these women? And, you know, one of the women uh, was cited that her favorite, her favorite artist is Pablo Picasso. So a lot of it didn't really add up, but I think the general synopsis was from all across media that were sort of done with, cancel culture as a performative thing. Hmm. The idea of 
uh, we want to cancel people, be- but really we want the attention on us. Mm. And 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 who? And this seems to be the height of it. As someone who died fifty years ago, we're not taking their career away. There doesn't seem to be much into it besides look at me, I'm Hannah Gadsby. And so I thought that was an interesting point in the world where we're at. I think if she did, and then I'll let everyone else say their piece. But the last thing I want to say is, I think if she put this out in 2017, she would have been lauded as a hero. This is great. The timing's perfect. We just took down Harvey Weinstein. We just took down Bill Cosby. These, those are Time all to take out people. the true monster, the dead yeah, and, Pablo and there Picasso. Was, it had momentum. The, the, whole, the whole idea, and, and, but also because there were genuine people who were doing bad things at that time who needed to be stopped from doing bad things. And this seems a little bit like six years too late. It's sort of like if Poison released an album in 1998. And everyone goes, okay, hair metal kind of ended a decade ago. (laughs) I feel like that arm of comedy and art where it's just art for the sake of getting rid of other people, I feel like might be over. But I want to bring you all in. I want to bring Andrea in first because you might have a a different interpretation of all this than me. So uh, Awesome. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Thank you, Turner. Uh, I I will say that I I think for the first time – that we've done these round tables have been nervous about this one because I was like, we, we talk about how it's a round table, but I was like, I'm going to really disagree with everyone on this round table for today. Great. So I was like stressed out about it. There's, there's obviously a lot that you've said that I, that I do agree with. So, uh, I'm a huge Hannah Gatsby fan and I had also not heard of her until, uh, 2017. And I went with, uh, to see her show, to see Nanette live in 2017. And I went with three friends, one of whom was Australian, which was the only reason anyone had ever heard of her. And she, none of them were comics. Uh, and she said, oh, there's this comedian I really like from back home. Like, do you, does anyone want to go? I said, yeah, fine. We had seats like in the first or second row. I had no idea what I was getting into. And the first 20 minutes I was like, this is okay. It's not great, but like, whatever. It's the Soho Playhouse, small venue, nothing special. And then when it turned to the more serious stuff, I was stunned and I was very impressed and very moved by it. So much so that by the end of it, I was like, I have to see that again and I have to change how I do comedy. And I forced my boyfriend to come with me a second time and some comedian friends of ours, mutual friends, and we all went because uh, I was like, my boyfriend will never understand me if he doesn't see this thing. So it really spoke to me. And I really loved what she did. I'll be the first to agree it's not the most hilarious special in the world. There's a million other comedy specials that I would watch instead of this one if I wanted to sit down and laugh. And it's certainly not quotable in the way that a lot of great comics are and you retell you know their jokes a million times and it's 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 not that and whether we want to call it stand-up or not is sort of beside the point to me and we can have that conversation but I found it to be really moving in terms of using comedy to say something that felt really important at the time so I've seen that one twice I've seen it on Netflix it's not as good on Netflix as it was in person fine Uh, I've seen she has released two other specials since then and I have seen both of them in person. I had front row seats for her second show. And I had uh, not front row, but but decent seats for uh, her third show. So she did one here in Union Square and one over at Brooklyn Academy of Music. They were not as good, for sure. Uh, the second one was called Douglas. Um, it was about being diagnosed with autism. She mostly was very good. I'm not going to like recap them all, but she did a very good like self-referential. Like, hey, many of you are probably here because of Nanette. Like, why? I said all the things. Like, I have nothing else to say. It's, like, funny that you've showed up. But she did an okay job. The third one, I think she tried to do something, like, more lighthearted. It was, like, a feel-good show. It wasn't as good. So they definitely got worse. And I can see the move to, like, I want attention. 
she kind of hit a hit a, a note back in 2017 on uh you know Pablo Picasso being problematic air quotes and some other things but um so so I don't love what she's doing now but I have her book like I'm a huge I really think that she used comedy in a way that's very bold and to this day I find inspiring and important and uh the only other thing I'll say that I do very much disagree with you on Turner is my read on what she said on stage I could be mistaken or misremembering well, she didn't say she was quitting comedy. She said she felt like she needed to quit comedy because all the comedy she was doing was self-deprecating and that that self-deprecation was like bad for her psychologically. And so she said, like, I need to walk away from this because it's and that also hit me because all my comedy is self-deprecating. And I've wondered about what that says about myself and what I'm doing. But that's a separate matter. Uh, so mm. so I think she's bold, brave, amazing. Uh, that said, I'm not going to go see this exhibit. I haven't seen it. And I think I, interestingly, Turner, when you shared this article with us, um, as a possible roundtable topic, I hadn't even heard of it. It did not come across my radar. No one I know is talking about it. And I think that's maybe the sign, like what you said, you're like, people are either have heard about it and are like, oh God, we're sick of this, or it's not even on their radar and it's not even on my radar. And I follow her on all the things and, uh, I'm actually like surprised, but, uh, also the one last thing I'll say is I'll be the first to agree with you on on criticizing her comedy in this domain, which is she likes puns a lot more than anyone uh, who's a professional comedian should. God. And the problematic mm. is, like, bad. And even in her second special, Douglas, which I thought was very good, she had a whole section on puns, and I was just like, ah, oh, Christ. Like, that, that weakened uh, the whole thing. But I, I think Nanette was a revolution, and um, I, I think it sucks that we have gotten away from the fact that she just did something very interesting with comedy. And I, you know, Mike Birbiglia does that kind of stuff. Like, I think there's like an interesting genre and maybe we'll talk about this later with comedy and storytelling and like, sure, we can move away from calling it stand up. But I, I think that what she did there was amazing. Uh, but I agree this, this feels more grovelly and uh, less important given everything else that we're going through as a world right now. I have one question for you and then I'll yeah. bring Heaton in. Um, do you think if this, I have a lot to say, but I'll, yeah. well, I'll, I'll, one question. Do you think if this would have come out at a different time, it would have been received differently? Uh, the uh, Pablo exhibit? Yes. I agree. Yes. I think you're right about that. I think if it had come out, say, in 2018 or something, especially on the heels mm -hmm. of Nanette and everything, you're like, pow, like, here's a way of, I'm not even sure what the point is other than maybe spotlight new artists, then yes. But I feel like since then, like even Me Too feels old, which sucks because it's not like women aren't getting harassed and there isn't sexual misconduct all over the place for all people. Um, sure. But it's it doesn't feel like the pressing issue of our time and it does feel more like an attention grab. So totally, I think, you know. And I'll, I'll say maybe with, if there still are um, alive people to me too. Yeah. That, that Let's focus to be on me that. Too'd. Even more reason why this shouldn't, we, sh we, 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 there's other places to put our mm. attention. And the last thing I want to say before I bring in heat and as you said, the pun thing. So a, a lot of what the exhibit is, it's also been criticized just for being lazy. Mm. Uh, so it's, there's pictures of Picasso, Picasso's paintings. And then under it, she leaves all what, what the New York times descri describes as Instagram comments. Oh, but she's the only one leaving the comment underneath. And while Heaton's talking, I'll go find some okay. of them. But they're little <laughs> quips about how stupid the painting is. I the see. The Picasso painting. Okay. This one's dumb because of this. This one's dumb because of this. All right. Heaton, uh, where, where do you land on all this? Specifically, because we'll talk about other things, on the lens of timing and with 
is as cancel culture has hit the point where you've, the mainstream is ready to move on, roll their eyes, or or not? What do you think? I I agree with your basic thesis, uh, 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 Turner. In in fact, I um I weirdly disagree with I disagree with you on a small level because I agree with you on a bigger level. And what I mean by that is um, the article that I read from the New York Times that you sent out. Uh, uh, Gadsby had. Um, at the beginning of the exhibit, there's a, a quote when you come in that says, uh, you can appreciate and be angry at the same time. I That to me is not cancel culture. Can- cancel culture is very much uh, built around this idea of heresy and blasphemy, that there are certain things um, that cannot be uttered under any context or situation and that you must be brought to heal and justice if you dare offend the cosmos. Um, saying you can appreciate somebody and be angry at them at the same time is correct. That mm-hmm. is how we should be interpreting such people. Pablo Picasso was a monster. Everything I've read about him is that he was an absolute shitbag to women at a colossal level. There's a, a painting he has of a woman where she's got a mole, and it's not a mole. It's a cigarette burn he had put on her face. He was a bad guy, but he was a great painter. And being able to look at him and go, God, that guy was a, a sack of shit and a really good painter. I guess we live in a complicated world where people are are nuanced and they might be brilliant in one way and sadistic in another way. That's the world we live in. And that was to me, like, that's the kickoff that she has. So I don't think she was trying to cancel him. I think she was actually saying, um, again, I didn't go there, but from what I'm reading, I think she was saying the same thing we were. So I don't see that so much as cancellation as heckling. It sounds to mm. me like she would she was doing an exhibit where she heckled Pablo Picasso, which I agree with you sounds very lazy to me. It sounds like a great gig. Anybody listening, if you want to hire me to heckle artists and just write witty banter underneath the painting, I could bang that out in an afternoon. I, mean, uh, I wouldn't call it huh? witty. But. Huh? What did you say? <laughs> you want, I found one of the I said I wouldn't call it witty. Do you want me to read one of the things she wrote? Please underneath? do. Please do. So it's like some meta painting from what I can tell. And her comment underneath, in quotes, is meta, M-T-E-A, and then a question mark, like, meta? I hardly know her. Oof. That is hilarious <laughs> in 1962. That's, that's, uh, that's a I'm really I'm not even funny... sure it was hilarious in 62. It might have been 52 yeah. for that one. Uh, you know what? Another, another, right, continue, good, continue. another good topic we should have at some point is jokes that should be retired, because I keep a list in my head of like, all right, oh that gosh. one ran its course. Uh, yeah. That needs to be to be knocked out. So, uh, uh, Turner, I don't think that she was actually trying to cancel Pablo Picasso. Like can- canceling Pablo Picasso mm-hmm. to me would be going to uh, MoMA or wherever his artwork is and saying this man is a monster. You have to put this in storage or burn it, but it can't be out for people. That's not what they were doing. And I think the um, the parallel to this, uh, if we were to to borrow other historical figures, is rather than dynamiting a statue of. Uh, I don't know, Jefferson Davis or something, putting up a placard saying uh, Jefferson Davis owned slaves and was fighting on behalf of a secessionist slavery cause and like contextualizing it. Again, I'm fine with that. I'm I, if, if you're not destroying the actual thing, you're allowing people to participate in it, you're seeing it, the history itself is not being expunged, but you want to have some way to contextualize it to uh, our uh, more... Uh, moral and progressive uh, uh, society. Good. I, I think that that is the way to handle it. But to your broader point, Turner, yes, I think you're right uh, that we have jumped the shark on cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I think we jumped the shark on cancel culture a couple of years ago. And the, the fact that that Hannah Gatsby's um, great insight is this man was a monster and he was brilliant belies the fact that she was not engaging in cancel culture and that the New York Times was so blasé and unimpressed with it further 
uh, facilitates that that train has stopped. And I think it was going to stop. I think I, I think the cancer culture thing was going to burn itself out, is going to burn itself out. Um, when 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 you're throwing a party, no one ever goes. When do the pearl clutchers get here? Hey, when do the you know those people that freak out on stuff we say that you feel like you're walking around eggshells on? You know those. When are they going to get to the fun party? None of us are doing that. I know a lot They're of those fun. people. If you want me to invite them, <laughs> what? When do you guys think it ended? Then I well, I I think it's still. I, 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 the, the, the Roman empire has lost Gaul, right? Mm. Like it's still, it's still existent, but it's in the decline. And, yeah. and I, I think, I think it was going to happen too. Like, like, uh, I, I think that the, the parallel that keeps coming back to me on, on woke culture, cancel culture and so on and so forth is, I, I think that there is a religious left much in the same way that there was or is a religious right. I see the exact things happening. It's an illiberal authoritarian response to information that information is infective and must be lanced rather than combated through debate and heresy and blasphemy and so on and so forth. And um, with religions, if you want to have a religion that works for a really long time, uh, you have to uh, have some variation of the golden rule for in-group members. Uh, uh, speaking in non-valenced, uh, amoral terms, you can totally throw other religions under the bus and have your religion go on very happily for a very long time. But if your internal members throw each other under the bus regularly, it undermines the whole project. And I, I see that with cancel culture. Yeah. And the, the whole uh, – Turner, you've talked about this in the past that like kind of once one demographic gets run under the bus, we move on to another demographic. And it's it's a whole system yeah. based on lop off the top of the totem pole. Well, eventually you run out of totem pole to lop off, and then what do you do? Yeah, it's one guy jumping around in a circle saying yeah. everyone's a horrible, not him. And yeah. we see those people religiously. They're on street corners outside of, you know, the Super Bowl, yelling at people as they walk into the game that Jesus is going to they're all going to hell except him. And they're holding a sign. And those people exist in religion, too. I genuinely uh, I I did the, the name of so I do disagree with Heaton. I the name of this. Then whether there was a sign outside of the actual thing in the Brooklyn Museum or not, the name of this whole exhibit is Poblomatic, like problematic. Right. Again, another great pun by Hannah Gadsby. And uh it is and, painful. Um, the brilliant comedian. And uh so <laughs> by the way, there's there's was... nothing more damning to a comedian than putting comedian in quotation marks. That's the meanest oh. thing you can do to a comedian <laughs> is say Andrew Heaton, quote unquote, comedian, did blah 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 blah. It's literally the meanest thing you could do to a comedian. And yeah, if we're, yeah, if we're talking about things that need to be retired, I'll quote another one of her um, things she put under a Pablo Picasso painting at the museum. She says, "Let's make art great again." Wow. Which that joke needs to be the make anything great again, right. but yeah. not like America, the jokey thing. Let's get rid of that. But no, I th I think this is it. I think this is the end. This is the death of cancel culture. I think this is the day it jumped the shark because specifically, I don't think the New York Times would have written this article at any mm. previous moment. I don't think the New York Times would have rolled their eyes at her and went, come on, get over it. Like, let's, we get it. Enough of us know art that, uh, enough of us know that Picasso is a bad person. You're not brave you're not breaking any news you're not breaking any barriers you're telling us something we already know and then you want to be patted on the back for it and i think up until now she would have been patted on the back or mm -hmm. they i guess they would have been patted on the back for this this would have been a thing to be congratulated for and while i think on the right wing of america cancel culture ended for them a long long time ago I think it's taken this long to get to someone who most people consider to the left, which is the New York Times. At worst, you would consider it the middle, right? And 
So I think these type of things don't truly end until like 90% of people are like, okay, 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 got it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at that point now. You, you bring I mean, up I, a great point, Turner, on, on just kind of the institutional uh, side of this, um, where there was a 10-year period where institutions were scared witless of social media. Uh, and it made yes. no, it made no sense. Like uh, uh, Twinkies are racist, right? And like 50 people on Twitter say Twinkies are racist. If you went to the Twinkie Corporation and you went, did you know a stadium in Lockjaw, Oklahoma yeah. <laughs> says that you're racist? They would go, uh, fuck them. We don't care what Lockjaw, Oklahoma, 50 people in Lockjaw, Oklahoma think that we're racist. They can go to hell. We don't care. But for some reason, if 50 Once people on, on the Twitter. internet did it, mm-hmm. it, everyone assumed that it was emblematic of the whole country. And they've kind of slowly realized, oh, this is just, they're all going to move on in a day or two. They're all just looking for something to be angry about. The New York Times is the best example of this because the New York Times was utterly cowardly for five, 10 years. I don't know. I, I don't know what the time frame is, but there was a period of time where they would throw their own, own people under the bus for for wrong reasons. Not, not the person did something that was an infraction that they should have been fired for. Uh, it's that their 24-year-old incoming college jihadists would get mad at them and they would just buckle. And in the last year or two, the New York Times has started going, you guys need to shut up or you can go work someplace else. They literally sent out a memo about this about six months ago where they went, the New York Times is a prestigious place. If you don't want to work here, you don't have to work here. Uh, And they finally grew a backbone. And I I think institutions are realizing that letting the religious zealots come in and dictate terms to everybody was a bad way to run an institution. And they actually didn't have to listen to them. We told you about Gaia Provides a couple months ago. Gaia Provides is back. They are a holistic small batch company crafting quality, lab-tested, hemp-based health and wellness products for pets. Kaplan, you've been giving it to Pancakes, Kaplan. Pancakes the dog over the last few months. How's she doing? Yeah, she loves these. Uh, I give her the beef liver flavor, the ones for small dogs. Um, And I give her a half a treat in the morning half a treat at night and she loves them. They're delicious. She always barks for them. Uh, she's a, she's a, you know, my dog's a little dog. She's a mental patient. I like to say she's a lovable mental patient. So she's always, she's always, uh, stressed out, neurotic, just like me about something. But these, these make her chill. They calm her down. Uh, she does, obviously, you know, she's in a wheelchair. She has a lot of, uh, discomfort, uh, naturally. And these definitely help. Uh, I definitely see, a, you know, she has a high quality of life because of uh, we take good care of her over here. And these are a key part of our daily routine. So we love Guy Provides over here in the Kaplan household. And all these products, Cap, are THC free. They do not have THC, which makes them safe for your pets. And I know Pancakes is always scared of all those fireworks you have in Long Island City, Queens, right there on the East River. They're shooting them off all the time. How's she doing with the fireworks once she yeah. takes this guy it provides? Yeah, when I used to be, I used to dread fireworks. I used to dread loud noises and thunderstorms. Um, but now I just enjoy them because when I give them to the Pancakes, this makes it, like I said earlier, it makes her calm, makes her cool, makes her collected, makes her just sit there and enjoy life. So these- Look at that. Uh, I love they you have can enjoy drops. fireworks again. You can enjoy America again. You can enjoy <laughs> freedom again with Gaia provides everybody check out Gaia provides and use our promo code lost L O S T for a great deal. That is www.gaiaprovides.com. And, and then just so you know, they also have on top of the treats, they have these little drops you could put in the food. So if you, you know, if you want to, you can get if they don't like the treat for whatever reason, these drops are also delicious. So guy provides. Andrea, go ahead. Yeah. 
I I was like, oh, I don't even know where where to start with this. So so the New York Times is I'm I'm so glad we do these because I am reminded of how for many reasons, but I'm reminded of how far to the left my social media ecosystem is. And maybe I've said this on this podcast before, but I I love that we're talking about the New York Times because many people that I know have unsubscribed from the New York Times because it's too far to the right. What? And, they, no and they're like, no I can't. Way. And then and then they will repost and <laughs> tweet and all these things and say, I'm so glad I, I separated from the New York Times or I unsubscribed or I stopped giving them my money because they're supporting right wing this, that and the other thing. And so it's really, I think, wow. frankly, oh to flatter all of us, important that we are coming together because when you're on the Internet, when I'm on the Internet, it's too easy to forget that this isn't what is happening <laughs> for everybody. Andrea, please, ne- next time that I am in New York slash invite myself to stay with you and your boyfriend at your guest room uh, uh-huh. within easy walking distance from Reese Crisis, I want you to throw a <laughs> cocktail party and invite the gang, me, Turner, and Mike, but also your super, super, super to the left friends. Because okay. I like, I, I think that you would be doing a mitzvah for society right. to introduce right. them to us and us to them. Like, because there's going to be a lot of good. minds blown. Well, and the amazing just, thing is I, that you two are not far to the right. If anything, you know, we we've I've talked with uh, you know, uh like your your friend like Jennings about doing a podcast where we actually include someone who's like properly from the right, right? Mm-hmm. Not to assume either of your politics, but it's like the fact that you two would be so extreme. I mean, I have thought at length about the the podcast that we released a handful of months ago about uh, whether wokeness is a religion. And I was like, I might need to take that down because if people find this, I'm going to be in really big trouble. Even though I think that we were right. The only other thing, let me to just add to the content that we are talking about as opposed to my own uh, left word spiral, is when I hear about cancel culture these days, and maybe this is the ecosystem that I'm in, the information ecosystem that I'm in, is I hear all about the right erasing things like Ron DeSantis removing everything that was ever written in a history textbook about race or gender or banning this or banning that. And so if anything, the word cancel culture in the circles on the left that I am in refers to the right at this point. And Mm -hmm. so it feels very funny to talk about, oh, the right's been over cancel culture. I think they just don't call it cancel culture. I don't know what they call it, but they call it something else. But that might just be the way that I'm hearing about it. And maybe that's not quite what's happening well, I, I that think could to be true. Do, I always yeah. have thought of cancel culture as people. You're canceling this person, that person. The right doesn't do that, but that's they true. do try to cancel books and ideas. Yeah. Which is not, that's well, not very good. I, I, can <laughs> I ask a question? But you're right. Yeah. It's not a person. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Please. Everybody say, I, this is a little off topic, but I think it's an interesting just thing to do right now. Okay. Um, can everyone name, because we all get different versions of Twitter, and Kaplan and I, who can't be here, uh, we were talking about this the other day. Okay. That... Just name the top three topics in your Twitter feed. Because Kaplan was like, oh, Twitter, every Twitter's so right now. It's so right wing because Elon Musk runs it. Yeah. And I was, I was like, here's what I get on Twitter. Literally what my Twitter feed is. NBA, it's what's going on in the NBA. I get what's going on in the war in Ukraine from like anti-Russia people, which mm-hmm. is who I follow and who I support. I support Ukraine. Okay. Uh, I'm out of here. Which yeah, seems right. like you're not allowed to say, I don't even know if you're allowed to say that anymore. Yeah. Um, you're somehow. Andrea and but I don't, I do, but for completely different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I support them to the very end. And, Putin's uh, my uncle, and then, but okay. And then, and then comedy stuff. Those mm. are the three things I get. If I'm going to go top three, can you okay. guys just think of, just cause just to as illustrate how different every, everyone's world is dependent upon. Yeah. Here's mine is yeah go go for it. I haven't logged into Twitter in weeks, 
That is how far Ooh. to the left I am, is that the last handful of times I did check it, it was, it felt more right wing. It was mostly just a handful of, or people that are very far to the left retweeting right wing people. Like it was all very political stuff. And it wasn't really, I even was toggling between, cause he changed the, like the for you versus your actual feed. And I was like kind of messing with that. And then honestly, I moved and reset like my passwords and whatever to try to refix. And I got logged out of Twitter and now I can't autofill my password and I just haven't logged in and my life has been the same. And most people that I am talking to have also left Twitter. And so it's not even that I'm missing out on much. I think the so academics is, are still the there. Left. The left leap is not but on the Twitter left is gone. I'm not too there. far right. Yeah. But yet it's only far right if that's who you follow is my claim. But anyway, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that there's even a good synthesis on mine. My my Twitter tends to be like I, I I purposefully don't talk politics on Twitter a lot. I don't want to invite fights with strangers into my life. I find it very uh emotionally draining and exhausting. And so I'm I'm probably on Twitter once every couple of weeks. And I yeah. do it somewhat begrudgingly. Uh I just I don't want to live on it just for just social media in general. I, I I'm not on too much. I'm much more likely to be on Slack or doing a podcast with people. Um, and then the, the people I follow, like I have a whole list of just comedians who are still funny. That's the whole list. It's just comedians that aren't doing politics uh, that I'm listening to. Because I don't, to be blunt, like I don't need to hear the political opinion of every comedian I know, particularly if it's not interesting. I, mm, you yeah. don't like Trump. Fantastic. Great. You don't, Okay. I figured you didn't like Trump. You're, mm. you're a comedian who lives in New York City. Uh, like, like, yes, uh, I, I, I get it. And there's a bunch of them that have become one-man, 24-hour news pundits that are just mm-hmm. talking about how much they hate Trump. And I'm like, I probably even agree with you, but can you please go back to doing jokes? So I have a list of comedians who are still funny that I, that I listen to. Uh, and then after that, it's kind of a grab bag of like libertarians, moderates, and weirdos. Uh, that I that I follow. So like I might be like looking at something Andrew Yang does and then like maybe the great Mitch Daniels will say something and then like uh, Michael Malice or Dave Smith, who I both follow, will have like a conversation about secession in America or something like that. So it'll be it'll, I, I don't know that there's any defining thing, but I'm also aware that it's all algorithmic and I'm just not on it that much yeah. to, to, to backtrack a little Let's, bit, though. I, I do want to point out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Turner. No, I was going to say we can keep going. If there's another to- another part of the topic anyone wants to bring up, go ahead. Well, I just I, I just wanted to point out. Uh, I, I I thought it was an interesting point you bring up, uh, Turner, that the right cancels ideas, the left cancels people, uh, and I wanted to suss that out a little bit more. Um, something that I I just wish to inject uh, so that I, I can I can put in my preferred mental framework. There is I don't think that it's the right or the left that's doing the canceling. I, I think that we're looking at multiple spectrums of things going on here. And the fight with authoritarianism and censorship has never been between conservatives and progressives, both of which come out of a liberal tradition. It's always been with authoritarians. If you, mm. if you want to make a, a left-right spectrum uh, where, I don't know, Ron DeSantis is on the far right and Bernie Sanders is on the far left, however you want to define that, I don't really like the idea of a left-right spectrum, but we'll use it for the moment. We want to make a Y spectrum. Um, there, there are people that believe that you counter ideas with other ideas, and they can come from the conservative circle or from the progressive circle. And there are people that believe, I'm going to use my power to shut you up. And they can be 1950s Republicans that are McCarthyite uh, scaremongers. They can be uh, uh, religious conservatives that are trying to ban any book involving Darwin or whatever. Or they can be Democrats that are trying to uh, 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 ban people or ban books or whatever. So I, I, to, to me, it's the, the, the censorious people are not rooted in the right or left. It's, it's a, it's a temperament rather than a philosophy. Like a hierarchical authoritarian centric power 
kind yeah. of position that uh, exactly. you need and, to and control the, the flow of information I, or something. I think the relevant the relevant spectrum is authoritarian to pluralist. A okay. pluralist, which is I am a hardcore pluralist. You don't find a lot of people that would identify as such, but I'm a hardcore capital P pluralist. A pluralist believes society is big enough to have disagreements within it. Like I'm here in Austin, Texas. I could literally, if, if my neighbor were a flat earther, I could deal with my my neighbor. It wouldn't yeah. freak me out. Yeah. Uh, it would be weird. I would actually be frankly very interesting. But like politically, some of my, I, I didn't vote for Trump. One of my best friends voted for Trump. It didn't affect our friendship. Uh, like, you know, I, I, I have a hard time envisioning myself ever voting for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, but I have dear friends that voted for him as a pluralist. I can like, it's just, you just have to be polite and get along with each other. And, and the ideas fight and the best idea rises to the top, right? Whereas authoritarians want to squash the evil ideas and squash the people that promote them. And that can come from anywhere. Who would you give examples of on both sides quickly? Um, of a, of a authoritarian. I would guess Ron DeSantis seems to be trying to get rid of a lot of stuff in Florida. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I my my take of DeSantis is I think that he's more opportunistic, and I think that he's learned a lot of lessons from Donald Trump. So a lot of which appears to be censorship, I think, is really just him trying to get earned media attention from mm. uh, from media. So the, the best example, which we talked yeah, about he, on the show here about a year and a half the ago, actions are censorship. Uh, well, sort of like the, the the don't the don't say gay laws, for example. Uh, it's it's mm. my understanding that in Florida, what was passed was you were not allowed to instruct kindergartners in issues of sexuality. The law did not say mention it because um, we got. By the way, I got a lot of feedback on that episode uh, where mm. where people went, you know, uh, I am gay. I I am worried that this would mean that if I mentioned my husband in the classroom, that I would be fired. Um, while that is always a legitimate concern with authoritarians, uh, I think that the the law, the way it was written, was you can't instruct, not mention, but instruct. Uh, and I basically it boiled down to look, you can't teach sex ed to kindergartners. That was the long and the short of it, which the vast majority of Americans agree with. Uh, and it immediately got picked up because it was Ron DeSantis and he's a Republican from Florida and got turned into an anti-LGBTQ thing. Uh, and I think he planned it that way. I think he knew yeah, that he if, he, if he if he wrote a law that his base would broadly agree with and see a stark, stark raving sane and it got punted up to the, the media sphere. Um, so I, I think that happens to them out. But sure, um, conservatives uh, who are uh, Turner trying to um, like like in in uh, certain states, I, I want to say they'll occasionally have a thing where they'll literally try to ban evolution in schools. And that that happens. Well, the other thing is the um, what's the race critical race theory? Critical race theory, which is literally just teaching about a lot of teaching about black history. People are like, absolutely not. Not right. in our state. You're not allowed to do that. That's can't, That's getting rid of an idea. Right. Sure, and that's I, stopping ideas. As a pluralist, my thing is combat that with other ideas. Like you could yeah, you sure. could say some people think X, some people think Y. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think if you go back in history, I would say McCarthy would be the best example of a conservative mm, uh, authoritarian yeah. censorship figure. Uh, or if yeah. you want to get like, I, I guess centrist would be J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, because he was just going after he was going after people and ideas, and I have no idea what party right. he was. Uh, and then and then you got cancel culture today. Yeah, I did not expect to back, hear about Hoover today, but but let, uh, let's get back to Gatsby. Um, Andrew, either one of you guys want to go on this, Andrew? Yeah. So I so I think we you know I don't know how much uh, we we need to dwell on it, but do we want to talk about Gatsby as a comedian versus storyteller versus you know how, how what do you think of her relative yeah. to someone like Mike Birbiglia? You know, and doing comedy, you know, Turner, you and I have had conversations about this at length. Um, he, we probably have too, but I'm remembering a particular one with Turner where 
Turner, you said something, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I'm not going to have the right amount of nuance here, where you were like, comedy means making people laugh. And whatever you want to do to make mm. that happen counts as comedy. And if you're not laughing, then my God, maybe you're not doing comedy. And so I would put Hannah yeah. somewhere in the middle. She's obviously not just out there getting laughs, but I've, I have laughed at things that Hannah Gatsby has said. Um, and, and sort of just the idea of using comedy to do other things. And Heaton, you and I have talked about this as far as politics goes. Um, you know, introducing humor into things can help us mm-hmm. get past. And, and maybe let's, to use your pl- pluralism language, can help us, you know, be more open to ideas through comedy as a tool to do that. So, so I, I am impressed by Hannah for that reason, more than about any particular message that she's given or, or to say that she's particularly funny. And I, I'm curious, you know, where, where you all land on this. Do you have other people you do like who maybe travel that that path of of combining comedy with other things, or is it just not your cup of tea? Uh, it's not my cup of tea. Okay. Um, I, I'll preface all of this. I have not seen Nanette. I have never seen um, Hannah Gadsby. It could wow. very well be that I would watch her and find her hilarious and brilliant, and that I would I would come away from that and go, "This is awesome." So, if you stay uh, with us, I'm going to make you we, watch it with can, me. Can I fair <laughs> anti cancel culture on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's take we'll take bets on how I react to it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll when I, when I stay with you, we'll watch that after the cocktail party. It'll be a really interesting evening. Uh, uh, but but let, let me talk about that. That rather than just focusing on Hannah, I'm going to use her as a touchstone for this concept in general. Um, so uh, one, I don't like the trend we've had in culture of dramedies. Uh, I think they're just lazy comedies, um, and I, I see this across. So like the Good Place. Uh, uh, great, <laughs> great drama that's occasionally funny. It's not a comedy. It's a shit comedy. If you watch Fair, it, it's it, not it, funny. Yeah, it is a laugh every minute and a half. That's horrible by sitcom standards. Sitcoms have a, an like. I, I did the math on this one time. I was writing. I, I think I've told you guys before that I got roped into writing a, a sitcom spec script for the Weather Channel. <laughs> and, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, it, it went it went just as well as you think it did. Can we do uh, a table reading and record it as a bonus episode? Oh my god, I would Ooh, love to do that. Yes, should. I will. Yeah. I will was look. there a character named El Nino? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- while I was re- and is El Nino or something? W- w- <laughs> while I was researching that and I was learning how to write a, a sitcom pilot, and there's definitely a, there's a really firm structure to it. Uh, sitcoms sure. are the most like the most uh, formulaic uh, form of comedy. Um, uh, I, like Thirty Rock had an, a joke every average of seventeen seconds. Whereas like uh, two and a half men had an average of every 25 seconds. But sitcoms have to have it all the time, right? I look at something like The Good Place, which was interesting, good drama, et cetera. If we want to call it a drama, it was great. It was great. I didn't know but it if, was considered a comedy, is it? That was it, that was how it was initially billed. And it's why I didn't like it the first year it came out. Because my friends mm. would tell me about this new comedy and Ted Danson's in it, who's a national treasure. And I, I would watch it and it's go, great. this isn't funny. I'm not watching this. I, I went back and I watched it as a drama that is occasionally funny and it was fine. So may, maybe, maybe it's just that I'm like um, raggedly... Uh, linguistically pur- uh, puritanical about this. This could be the problem that if Hannah Gatsby just goes, yeah, I'm not a comedian. I'm a funny speech person. I'd be like, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Interesting. I mean, you can, you can make an argument that I'm a very funny pundit. Uh, like, like I, I get it. Um, but I, I, I find that like, or I'm going to piss off some other people here too. There's a show called uh, Lower Decks. Uh, it's a Star Trek cartoon and it, it's billed as this hilarious, hilarious cartoon. It's, a pretty good Star Trek episode that's occasionally funny. It's mm-hmm. not a. It's not anywhere on par with Futurama or Rick and Morty. It's just not that funny compared to him, right? And then I, th- where, where my inner this this is my inner bitter comedian comes out. I've worked on a 
spec script, as I talked about. I've worked on a script. I've written short stories, and I've written novels. Um, all of these are uh, can be brilliant in their own way. People that write short stories can be brilliant. Essayists can be brilliant, et cetera, and so forth. Writing novels is a lot harder than writing a short story, and both are harder than writing scripts. Like You can be the most brilliant script writer. You can be more brilliant than a novelist. I'm not saying otherwise, but writing a novel is just, it's more difficult. You have to, you have to be dealing with more things over more time. I see in comedy, um, a, a lot of people going like, I, don't, I just don't want to write jokes. Because that's the hardest part. The hardest part of doing stand-up is writing the jokes. You have to sit down and write jokes. It's tough. Because stand-up comedy is the highest distillate form of comedy. All you're doing is telling, you're just doing set-up punchline, set-up punchline again and again and again. It's the uh, contortion and, of jokes because contortion is just circus with your body and no apparatus, but go on. Mm-hmm. There, you yeah. go. there you go. And so so I, I'm i not a huge fan of all of that. I, I think somebody that does a great job of merging comedy with uh, having – uh, some some kind of philosophical input is Eliza Schlesinger. Uh, I think Eliza Schlesinger is very talented, very, very funny, and she will do a really solid, funny stand-up special, and every once in a while, she will go, but really, you should never feel bad because of X or whatever. So like mm-hmm. every few minutes, she's earned that moment where she'll slip in something and she'll be like, I'm going to be vulnerable and serious with you for a moment. But I do, doing half joke, half speech, which by the way, Totally get, because I get booked to do think tanks on a regular basis, and th- th- they always go, do you want to do a speech or do you want to do comedy? And I go, oh, a speech, of course. Like, right. like tell everybody I'm doing a speech, because <laughs> yeah. there's there's Same. lower expectations, and I get to I get to bring my notes up on uh, to the podium. And your jokes kill. And exactly. I, yeah, and my jokes kill. I'm going to end up doing my, my stand-up anyway, but also I have a lot more leeway, because if I'm giving a speech, I can do my stand-up, and then if there's just something I want to talk about for five minutes, I can, and it's a really funny speech. But if I do that with stand-up, it's real shit stand-up. So like, yes. I get it but i don't like it when comedians uh in, in my view yeah. kind of slow down and go that route i um to put it into contortion terms please right? you said contortion's the hardest thing to do well Is no it's true? the purest form of uh Circus. You could argue, but ah. based on um, Heaton's analogy, that stand up is like the most distilled version of comedy because you don't have like okay. a scene or a. Other what's actors. the hardest thing? What's the hardest thing to accomplish in circus? I mean, back. if we go, I think contortion could be just because you don't have other apparatuses. The hardest thing, as far as I know, actually does require an apparatus. And contortion is a mouth stand where you stand and you bite down on a on a little kind of like a piece of wire, and then you yeah. balance on your head with your legs over the front of you. And so your whole body weight is on your teeth and you're okay, upside down. Great. That. So to put it into those terms, what Hannah Gadsby did. Wait, are you going to circus played to Andrea? I'm so ready. I am here for it. I I'm love ready it. to do it. Let's I'm go. I'm ready Let's to go. do it. This is, she did. Well, I, I, that's why I wanted your information yep, first. I don't yep. know what I'm talking about. So yeah, no, she, good. she said, I'm not going to do the mouth thing. Right. Mm hmm. Because I'm better than that, and I've moved past that. So instead, I'm going to be like, you know those people who just wave flags like in the middle of a marching band? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to wave the flags because I don't have time to waste my time and my career with this lowly form of art where you put something in your mouth and you flip upside down. It doesn't express my interest as much. But it has enough time for puns. Is standing around waving a flag. And that's what I don't think any... I can't speak for everybody. I'm sure there were people who threatened because she was a they or they was a they and, and is that threatens people's lives. I'm sure that I'm sure she there are those people She actually is a, a she, not a they. I don't know if that's. If, in where the New York you, Times, it says they. Really? 
Yes. Oh. Maybe that's recent? Maybe. Okay. As far as I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful. I genuinely. No, I don't know. Yeah. I could be. You could, unless you, I read it incorrectly. Yeah. Or maybe it was the other art culture magazine that called uh, that. Okay. Name. <laughs> but okay, let's go with she for this yeah. topic. And then if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, if I'm wrong, it's your fault. Okay, great. So, yeah. Uh, I am going to get canceled first. I think we can all agree. <laughs> okay, we can all agree with that. So I think what most people, most comedians wanted to say, but at the time in 2017, you literally couldn't say this. People who were saying this were getting attacked mm-hmm. as a misogynist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it was that someone who's not as good as the high the higher level people in comedy not as good at comedy as the higher level people in comedy is saying i'm not doing that anymore cuz i'm better than that and instead i'm doing this other thing mm-hmm. that we all thought was easier so it seemed like a very uh convenient um cop out is the way i think i i think i speak for most people in comedy i've had a zillion of these mm-hmm. conversations when everyone knows the 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 Phones are turned off and nobody's listening and the door to the green room is closed and it's just comics sitting in a room. And we all say that the issue of us was that none of us were brave enough or articulate enough to say that in a place like the New York Times. And it took her launching herself into the art world for art experts to be like, whoa, 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 yeah. slow down. Yeah. You don't know anything about art. And they said that was a big story in comedy because they were saying all the things that we wanted to say, but were too stupid to put into words, <laughs> even though we had it all in our heads. And so I think the issue is not, is there this world for someone who's doing half comedy, half, half storytelling like Mike Birbiglia? It's like Dave, David Sedaris is a very funny storyteller. I think most people, yeah, everyone loves David Sedaris and well-respected. Right. Yeah. I think there is, Garrison but you also can't just shit on comedy. Garrison Keeler has been canceled. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, okay. He got yeah. canceled. But yeah. I think there is not room for someone to say, well, comedy's beneath me. I'm better than that, so I'm going to cry. You know? Right. Like, well, we could all cry. I think that the, and, and maybe I need to rewatch it, but I think that the, I don't think that's what she was saying in terms of I'm better than okay. comedy. Then, then we all interpreted it. Incredibly. Yeah, yeah. I and, can't wait till this cocktail party slash yeah. movie party that we're going to have. This is going to be great. This is going to be rough. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do see why that would make, uh, your analogy makes sense, Turner, in the context of like, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. So here's like a worse version of it. And I'm going to justify because it, it because I'm, I'm better it, than it. Because I'm better than it. Right, right. But and I don't think a, if she you're said that. Who's in that world. Yeah. Okay. So if she didn't yeah. say that, then it was interpreted incorrectly. Yeah, I think it was interpreted. I could be wrong. I read it as it's bad for me. Uh, Because I'm telling self-deprecating jokes and I have lived a life soaked in shame. And so I, but that's. To to, to, to that point. Wait, just one piece there is that the way I read that is she said, comedy is not, is too limiting for me because comedy is about self-deprecation and I'm not going to do that anymore because this is because I'm becoming more me, Right. Well, and she was saying I her said, own jokes were about self-deprecation. And it was I reflecting. I didn't see that part. Okay. I saw it as comedy is that. So maybe I read it incorrectly, but that's how I saw it. And that's how a lot of people I talked to saw it. Okay. And so it was, we all kind of went, well, no, it doesn't have to be. There's right. many ways to do comedy. Right. Yeah. So right. anyway. Well, okay. and one of the reasons I thought her, and maybe this this is just, you know, 
we maybe hear what we want to hear. And I heard, uh, you know, that she was saying, I'm doing all this self-deprecating comedy because I feel bad about myself because I grew up in a very conservative place that told me that being gay is a sin. And so I'm reflecting that in my own self-deprecating comedy and I need to move on past that. And I have been thinking about how I do nothing but self-deprecating comedy. And at that, until that moment had never questioned why I do that. Why is that the funny thing? Why am I the butt of the joke? And I still do self-deprecate. It's literally all I have. Um, but I thought she was making a good philosophical point and I didn't read it as saying I'm better than comedy, but it's yeah. definitely, I can see where that interpretation would come from. And maybe that is what she said. I, I don't, I can't say. And then, sorry, I know I said one last thing before, but I got one more. Go for she it. She also had said very publicly that that was going to be the end of her comedy career because it was, it was over for her. She was moved beyond. I thought she had said she moved beyond it. Maybe oh, she said she just okay. can't do it anymore. Anyway, it was over. But then she made a ton of money off of it. So then all of a sudden it wasn't over. I <laughs> that I don't know. Yeah. There's a New York article, New Yorker article here from 2018, where it literally the opening line says, Nanette, the Australian comedian Hannah Gadsby's latest stand-up show, which runs at Soho Playhouse through May 26, is yeah. her last. All right. That's the opening line. Then she's full of shit. So she's she making money. To... I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> yeah. I won't defend so that. So that's the other thing that... I can tell you gets talked. I mean, gets talked about in green rooms all over the place when her name comes yeah. up. They're like, I-, I thought she quit five years ago. Right, right, right. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, a- Andrea. Um, again, while I've not seen it, I do very much relate to you on the self depreciation thing. I think that that is a major, major occupational hazard of stand up comedy uh, because, um, in my experience, audiences don't like you. You can shoot the moon. Mm-hmm. And be better than the audience. Paul F. Tompkins does that. He comes out in a three-piece suit. He puts mm-hmm. on this air of a sophisticant who's talking down to the audience. Um, uh, uh, Judah Friedlander does that in an absolutely hilarious way because he's like 40 pounds overweight and just he's looks awesome. ridiculous. But he, he, yeah, he's, he's great. I love Ju- Judah Friedlander. Uh, but, he, but he comes out and acts like he's better than the audience. So you can do it if you have got like a swagger. But 95% of the comedians there, we're, we're operating as – a cathartic gesture for the audience. The audience yeah. has had a tough week. Uh, they want to come out and laugh at somebody who's flailing even harder than they are. And uh, I, I learned this early on back in D.C. where I was coming from Congress. One day I, I, I had a suit on. Uh, I walked up to the, the the microphone. And before I said anything, I heard a guy in the back go, oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> and like, like I, I, I hadn't said anything. But I, I yeah. get it, though, because he was like, he didn't want to see some well-put-together dude come up and make funny jokes. Uh, and like my, my standup got much, I started like really leaning into my Oklahoma accent because it made me sound more baffled. But I, but I noticed from an occupational hazard standpoint that I was peppering my personal life with self-depreciation far more than I should. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny yeah. if I go up on stage and I say, I look like a pregnant spider. I'm so skinny and spindling, but I'm getting a bit of a gut. It's like a meerkat where if you draped a blazer over a hat rack, I can get lines, uh, laughs for that. That doesn't work well on dates. Going on a date and explaining why you should definitely not have sex with me in an amusing way <laughs> is not a great way to go on a date. And um, I, it is, it's one of those things where I think like comedians have to be on guard uh, to make sure that we're not letting the darkness in by, by doing the things that get us trained seal laughter. So, Turner, I want to know what you think about this because I have experienced that different comedy scenes have different appetites for this. So I felt that, and Turner, you and I have talked about this at length and you know the scene much better. I always felt that in Shanghai, which is where I started and you were, you know, built built the scene, that 
self-deprecation didn't really work there. And that audience was often be like, what, why are you so sad? And then I came to New York and my first ever open mic, I said, I'm a professor. I live in China. And everyone was like, fuck you. Like kind of, you know, open mics are a different scene, but I feel like in New York, you expect self-deprecation and you can't be that successful. Whereas in China you could. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that it had anything to do with Chinese or American culture. I think it's the scene and the audiences and what people expect. On the other hand, I did a show at the Grizzly Pair Midtown over the weekend I was the last comic on the show and I came up and said, ah, I, br- I quit my job. I'm a deadbeat. And someone in the audience was like, "Ugh," and I was like, oh, they don't want to hear another failure because I was probably the eighth comic they'd seen that night who was mm. listing why they were a failure. And so I turned yeah. it around and did some other more like normal functioning stuff. And it actually did much better. Maybe that's a fluke of the room. Maybe they just needed someone higher energy. I don't know. But it's I think the self-deprecation really varies um, mm. and I think we're well, in a culture brought in probably by Louis C.K. that has been like self-deprecation is sort of what you expect. And that's a trend. You know, Seinfeld doesn't self-deprecate. He didn't self-deprecate at the height of his um, yeah. influence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a good point. The the, the Louis C.K. thing is a really great point because he, obviously a very high-level, talented stand-up comedian, figured out how to kind of take his life, which on the surface was a very bland life, just a, fa- a schlubby-looking dad, bald, fat dad of two little kids, and a wife. Yep. And turn that into being able to relate to like every dad and and therefore and parents in America of everything they're thinking but don't say. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he hits so hard is because all across you could be in Dallas, Texas, you could be in Omaha, you could be in New York City, people have that feeling. Yeah. Right. So he was really tapping into that. I think, and which is a very clean, normal thing. I think what a lot of um, newer comedians took out of that is, well, he did have one joke about how he masturbates when yeah. his wife's not around. He so calls I'm himself a piece 10 of shit. Minutes about, oh, yeah, God. I'm going to do 10 minutes about jokes about how I masturbate and I'm a piece of shit by not even noticing, skipping over the real art that was in it, yeah. which was giving parents the license to it's okay to sometimes not like your kids. If you're going to tell a masturbation joke at this point, it better be pretty goddamn funny. I have one masturbation joke (laughs) in my entire set and it does okay. But like, I've heard more masturbation jokes than the Geneva convention allows by law at this point in my life. And and (laughs) particularly. Do you remember Louis about nine 11? Oh God. No, it was, you can tell how bad of a person you are. By how early you started, you masturbated again after 9-11. And he goes, he goes, for me, it was uh, after the first plane hit, but before the second one. That's so bad. Um, but anyway, so I think that there is, oh, and, and being self-deprecating doesn't have to be like, I'm, I'm fat, I'm a loser. I'm skinny, I'm a loser. I'm short, I'm a loser. It doesn't have to end with, I'm a loser. Right. It can be... I, my spouse and I went out and did this and this was, there's a way to, I don't, you can get yourself in awkward situations. Right. Seinfeld was constantly in awkward situations. Larry David is always in awkward situations, yeah. but we never think he's calling himself a loser. Yeah. Oftentimes no, there's, 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 he's there's, almost letting you call him a loser while he's tongue in cheek saying he's correct. Right. There's, there's whatever this definitely is. different expressions of this. And by the way, Turner, you are the finest mind in terms of framing these things and looking at comedic spectrums that I've ever met. Uh, one of the things that you, you brought up to me that's been deeply impactful to me in the comedy that I do is you brought up that comedians tend to either be the sane person in a mad world 
like mm. Seinfeld, who is is going like, can you all not see this thing? What's Isn't this on? nuts? Yeah. Uh, or I am the crazy person in a sane world, like Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. I'm the nutball, yeah. right? And that like a lot of the time, uh, if you're, if I, I, Andrew Heaton, play the sane character. I'm not, I'm not coming in being a, a, a crazy person. Like, I, I, I will occasionally like in sketches and maybe in a monologue or something. But when I'm doing standup, I'm making observational comedy much more in the vein of Seinfeld. So if I suddenly do like a, like a crazy joke, it, it's, it's running against my character and people can't articulate why that joke may not land. And then the other bit, Turner, that I'm going to steal from you and feel free to correct me or elaborate on all of this, but I take Turner notes internally. Um, <laughs> we were hanging out in a hot tub in Tulsa. Uh, after we after we together on the road after after we done an open mic or something I don't know we 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 got paid but the the gig got canceled or something oh yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, uh, you you brought up that there are differences in crowds between people that like smart humor and smarter than humor and you maybe phrased mm. it differently but you brought up one of one of your jokes Turner is you go uh, have you ever done anything that made you realize you're even stupider than you already thought. And that mm. joke will do very well in Kansas. That joke does not do super well in the hip parts of Brooklyn. Because in the hip yeah. parts of Brooklyn, a lot of the identity is, well, I'm smarter than most people. Like yeah. my, my identity, it's not that I'm a smart person, it's I'm smarter than other people. And, jo- yes. and, and that kind of humor tends to be much more referential because uh, if I reference obscure things and you know them, you can laugh and feel better. Whereas like when yeah. you're when you're doing comedy in China, like you regularly will will go like uh, I was over at Pizza Hut. Do you guys know Pizza Hut? It's it's a fast food chain for pizza because you're just trying to mm-hmm. you're just trying to establish the data point and move on to the joke. The joke's not the reference, but if the joke is yeah. the reference, it's much more likely to be that smarter than kind of humor. Yeah, which is like a joke that ends in "What is this, Deep Space Nine? Yes, <laughs> and exactly. Everyone, <laughs> and everyone laughs if they know Deep Space Nine. I did. <laughs> But if they, I didn't even say the That's joke. That's just such I just a perfect the- punchline for just any <laughs> shitty joke. <laughs> That's what you go to. <laughs> I'm just gonna try that. The next time something's off the rails, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna end with that and like see what happens. That's amazing. What is this? Do you say so? But uh, yeah, and then the third one, which I would say Louis does, is uh, and I would I probably I do as well, is the insane person in an insane world. So mm. you're confront just like Seinfeld confronts an insane scenario, but he's going, these people are crazy. What Louis's doing is going, I'm my, they, what they're doing is crazy. And my reaction to them is going to be even more crazy. Right. Fascinating. Right. So nine eleven's nuts that happened. Uh. And my reaction was to just jerk off. <laughs> uh, I, I I got a I, I've got a thinky question for you both. Um, okay. Two years ago, I interviewed a very smart lady, a guest I really enjoyed, named Danigal Goldthwaite Young. She wrote a book on uh, I know political. Her. Do, yeah. do you know Dana? Not She's personally, great. but. But we're in similar circles for reasons. I, you're about I could, to say. I could, yeah. I could totally see that. Um, yeah. uh, she's cool. I, I really liked her. She's, she's got another book coming out. Hopefully, she'll come back on the show. Um, so she wrote a book on political satire. The, the thesis to her book was that conservative media went into outrage radio, and uh, liberal media went into political satire. I, okay. I don't agree with everything in it, but there were there were some interesting ideas that she parsed out. I'll note, according to Dana Goldthwaite Young, she's only talking about. Uh, conservatives and liberals in terms of social context. She's not talking about how you feel about uh, taxes or foreign policy or jurisprudence or anything like that. She's only okay. talking about, are you a... Tra- it would have been, in my opinion, better for her to say cosmopolitans and traditionalists because that w- that's what she was getting at. But um, in her language, she said that conservatives tended to have more of a problem with ambiguity than liberals did. And that um, liberals were okay having more amorphous things. So she gave an example uh, in her book that 
um, uh, liberals would have art that did not have frames in it, and it might be abstract art, whereas conservatives were more likely to have framed art. They liked having things clearly delineated, and the art that they had was very realistic, that it was more likely to be a landscape or a portrait. It was something that you could you could, inter- you could uh, understand very quickly. So the conservatives um, didn't like Picasso either? Is that what, what I'm hearing? The, the, the conservatives what? The conservatives didn't like Picasso either. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, no, nobody yeah. Nobody liked it. Nobody. Well, no. The, the only the only reason that I bring this up, uh, and I by by her definition, I don't think yeah. any of us would qualify uh, as as like super traditionalists or anything. But uh, I, I would say that in this conversation, Turner and I have been far more concerned with clearly delineating what is and isn't. Whereas uh, Andrea, who by by their own admission is much further left on the spectrum, seems to be much more okay with ambiguity. So I wonder if that's not kind of doubling down on on Dana's point. It could be. Yeah. I mean, I I think that um, comedy should be funny. Uh, <laughs> no, Turn to get your head out of the ground. No, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm stuck in the old days, though. I'm also like, I think a man should have a penis. Like it's like the same. Yeah, is that yeah. the same argument? I don't really know. But I didn't think I was saying anything. Yeah, Nanette is a they uh, controversial. By, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you because I've told I've had a lot of people. I I tell people uh, which I've thought since I was 13 years old that the best comedian of all time is Norm Macdonald. I agree. And people will often say, "Well, I mean, he's the funniest," but right. And I'm like, I'm like, what's the yeah, other? Yeah, he wins. Yeah, that he's I the best. We we're talking about comedy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I think you're right in the sense that uh, I mean, let me back up. So as we've been having this conversation, I have kind of reflected in my own mind that I would be 100 percent fine if looking back, we decide that Hannah Gatsby's Nanette is classified as performance art. Fine. I don't think it needs to be called a comedy. I don't think I'll die on that hill. I don't think you're saying anything out of control Turner by saying that comedy should be funny. <laughs> I'm interested, Heaton, to go back to your point about television shows is that I actually probably don't really watch many comedies. Like I'm watching Succession, haven't finished it, don't spoil it. And I love the fact that there's probably two moments in each miserable hour that are super funny and it only makes sense in the context of having watched four seasons of these wretched people. And so I like, a pre, I wouldn't call it a comedy, although HBO thought it was a comedy. I met someone who who worked on that show and they're like, oh, have you seen the new comedy Succession? You're like, no. Will Ferrell's so I'll be the first producer. to say, fine, let's say Hannah Gatsby's isn't a comedy. I don't care. Um, I am curious separately what we all think of like, and Heaton in particular, because you go to Fringe all the time, like one person shows that are sort of funny. Turner, there are a lot of comics right now doing one person shows at Soho Playhouse and like they're semi-funny, semi-not, like, I'm interested in where that lands in all of this, but we can call Hannah Gatsby performance art. That's fine. But I will say that the reason, one of the reasons it was so powerful for me when I first saw it was because I went to it expecting comedy. And then I was so surprised that it got so dark and I felt like her ability to manipulate my own feeling in the show was so stunning. And I don't think I would have had that experience had I gone in expecting to be moved. And I just feel very lucky that I had that because I think by the time most people saw it on Netflix, they were told it was supposed to be this big philosophical thing. You know, mm, Whereas yeah. I was just like, this is going to be just like an hour at the Grizzly Pair. I don't, I don't know what this by is. The way, and I was so also, surprised. We should also say that we don't all have to agree. Yeah. We don't, like yeah. art, I think, I think they said it best in Wayne's World, which there is we go. that, like not everyone has to be like everything. Like yeah. the line from Wayne's World, which is one of my favorite quotes of all time, is is Wayne goes, "Hey man, like not everyone has to like you. Not even yeah. the Beatles didn't write songs that everybody liked. They left that to the Bee Gees." 
<laughs> uh, that, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah, you're not that's, supposed to be liked by everybody. No, no, no. Well, that's, 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 supposed yeah. to be. Uh, my, uh, my, my, my friend Jennings and I had a conversation as I was driving out to New Mexico where, uh, he, he was like, you like Wes Anderson films, right? And I was like, yeah, I love the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. And I love, uh, I, I, uh, uh, I, I love, uh, Budapest, a uh, grand Budapest hotel. Yeah. They're, they're some of my favorite films. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I hate him. Uh, I think you should, you should try to fix me. And we were having this conversation, uh, where, where he's like a ton of people disagree with me on this. Clearly I'm missing something. And I was taking the position. I think you should stay at elitist Jennings. I, I think you should, yeah. uh, like, because like, well, it's like jazz. Like I'm sure it's good and people love it. I can't, it makes me exactly. stressed out. Or, or like, like th- there, there are things that I can, I can even look at and say, I can tell that's a good thing. It's just not for me. Right. So like right. Mad Men. Uh, I watched mm. one episode of Mad Men, and I was like, "This is clearly well written, clearly well executed, excellent costumery, good plot, characters, actors." I'm just not super into it, but like, I can objectively tell it's really good. I just it's not good for me. Uh, those, yeah, those those things happen all the time. Can I? I think this might be a good place to land this whole thing. Sure. And bringing it back to where we started. So I also think there was an issue which comes up from time to time in politics in America, in in kind of everything, art. Appreciation for it. You just said you don't like jazz music, right? Mm. Completely fine. Completely not allowed to like jazz music. Thank you. Um, yeah, and and at any point in your life, you're allowed to not like jazz music. I do think there was a time in 2017, 18, if when you said, I don't like Nanette, I yeah. don't like Hannah Gadsby, people think you're saying something bigger than just yeah. I don't think she's funny. Have they I have I ranted about Hamilton? Have I ranted to you guys about Hamilton? No, I, but no, I'm I'd not surprised that you have a Hamilton rant. <laughs> um, I mean yeah, that in a I flattering like, way. Yeah, I don't. I'm just not a big fan of Russia Shativ. Like I'm just. I'm not a big fan of Russia Shativ. The the thing where you're singing talking. That's just not for me. Oh, I, go to, I, was like, I, I didn't know. Well, I was like, who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, uh you're 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 singing talk. You're talking in a in a rhythmic manner as opposed to singing. Um, so I like show rap? tunes. No, I'm kidding. I don't, we're not going to. I don't. I don't like rap, and it yeah. might be great. It's just not for me, right? Mm. Uh, but but it, but, so, Turner, but he by hates the way, black people. He said it. That, there it is. See, that right there. I have got. I have got shit for that before. Where I said I don't like rap, and I said it partly because I, I don't particularly like the sound of it, but also it seems to be a lot of dick swinging, and I don't like that kind of bravado. Uh, mm. And a person that was just as white as me went, you know, if you'd grown up uh, like out of privilege, you would appreciate blah 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 blah. And I was like, I I. To, I just heard a bunch of misogynist bullshit come out of the radio you listen to. I don't know why them being black suddenly extricates themselves from the, that problem that I would put anywhere else. But no, with with, with Hamilton, uh, I just I, I just don't care for Russia Shativ. Everybody else can love it. I think it's great that it's brought in people to uh, the the Amer- American experience and yeah. uh, br- brought over other folks. And that the one song I really like is "You'll Be Back," which is sung by King George the Third, which is played by a <laughs> you white are guy. Racist. And so you everybody's like, like, "Oh, you like the one song a white guy sings?" And I'm like, "I didn't fucking know he was white when I heard it on an album." It's just that that's the one song that's sung in the whole thing. But well, there was like a three year period where I couldn't say that because if I didn't love Hamilton, I was a racist that wanted King George III to own slaves or some shit. All right, this right. is my point. But also, I mean, Hamilton's a whole nother. It's a very like Hillary Clinton left, as I call it. Like, I've never even heard a single selling? Hamilton song. I don't know anything about we, it. Oh, I mean, really? I know of it. We, I've heard of it, but yeah. My main point is why are we celebrating the guy who created the Fed? You know, that's such a, <laughs> that's such a Hillary Clinton, a liberal thing to do. Like I was, I was calling the Hillary left. Like the real like centrist lefts, like big, big, but big government, big America. Uh, 
But anyway, so my point is, and to, to bring it all the way back to the beginning, is I'm sure there was a time when you weren't you would be a racist if you said I don't like jazz. I'm sure there was a time in the '60s yeah. where you had to like jazz. Uh, Heaton doesn't like Hamilton. I mean, from the other side. Charles Barkley, the fantastic former NBA player, now commentator, once said, I think Hamilton was up for a hip-hop album of the year, and he said, there's not a single person driving through the hood right now bumping <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> and he was furious that why would that be hip-hop Man, album I got of the so, year? If, if I ever hang out with Charles Barkley, we're going to have a fun chat. We're going to have a lot of fun. He's invited um, to this cocktail party yeah. if we can somehow make that happen. So I think what my bigger point is, this article feels like the death of that for this certain topic and maybe a bigger topic. You are now finally allowed to say, I don't like Hannah Gadsby. And it, it doesn't mean that you're boy, you're outside throwing rocks at pride parades. Right. You know, it <laughs> right. just means she's not funny to you. Right. <laughs> and, and, and anything else she had to say didn't land in any meaningful way. And that's fine too. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I think, I hope that you're right, Turner, in the sense that here's my denouement on all this is that I'm I'm hopeful that this means that like the moral outrage is waning because it's very exhausting to say yeah. exactly as you said. And I actually jazz has been so, I think, whiteified that I was like, oh, I, I don't like jazz because I'm not a sophisticated white person who likes jazz. But you're right. Mm. Black people <laughs> invented jazz. I forgot. Yeah, sure. uh, but I, I like to think that, yeah, we can have our tastes and they're not reflective of our broader views on whether or not people are gay or can be gay or whether that's OK. And I would like to see that change on both sides. I would like to go back to just having maybe go forward. Maybe we've never been there to just being able to say ideas and talk about them and not have it mean, well, you must like slavery or whatever. Well, and the one dying, I think we're in the dying gasps of this. And the people who co-created the art exhibit with Hannah Gadsby uh, retweeted, these two two women retweeted the New York Times review and said, well, uh, the New York Times, uh, paraphrasing, but it's something that the New York Times doesn't like us. Shocker, this article is written by a man. Oof. And so, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, so they're still trying. Um, anyway, Heaton, final word, and then Let's we should go. probably get out of here. Well, hold on. Uh, we can cut this bit out. Do we, do we want to do a poll on who's more likely to get canceled? Because I thought that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we could end on that. Yeah. Uh, so we were, uh, uh, listeners, we were uh, joking with each other on uh, our, our text chain on who is the most likely to get canceled. And I am going to put up a poll. Uh, I'll make it public. It'll be on patreon.com slash Andrew Heaton, but I'll make it a public post so anybody can come and and weigh in on this uh, and see how it's going. Uh, And um, we were debating who would get canceled. Andrea posited that they're most likely to get canceled because of the circles that they swim in uh, that are, you know, NYU Manhattanites and so on and so forth. I agree. I think Andrea (laughs) is the most likely to get canceled. I I think... uh, uh, I, I think I'm slightly more likely than Turner only because I'm more political than Turner. Mm. Uh, you can although, say famous. You can say famous. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, don't you're be more jealous, su- Turner. You, Turner. Turner, you're a more <laughs> successful comedian than I am, and you're definitely producing more comedy than I am, so there's there's more output. But I'm more likely to piss people off about, like, fucking tariffs or something and have i've i've had like mm. I've, I've had like the boat boat makers association come after me because of my position on the jones act uh but <laughs> but all the same though i think that uh the people that are going to flip out about uh mess flip out about word choice are far more likely to be in andrea's camp and so i think andrea you live in a, a greater danger than i do i'm not worried about my audience coming after me at all yeah i'm gonna um, end up the way of jordan peterson if i'm any day now 
basically. Mm-hmm. There's the only so I do not think there's I I find it's like zero percent chance I'll ever get canceled. Uh, my wife Ye is worried about that all the time. She's like, "What if these people you say the wrong thing and then people come after us and then blah 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 blah." And I'm like, "Trust me, like number one, I don't I genuinely don't give a shit." Uh, <laughs> And so I think that alone deters people because they're like, well, he's not even going to be fun. If we go after him, mm. he's not going to care. So then it's, mm. not, it's not worth it unless the person's genuinely upset and hopefully apologizes and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, but number two, I mean, the amount of stuff Kaplan and I have said on the podcast <laughs> over the years, just over and over and over again. And so far, nothing. I mean, <laughs> it's I gotta really- I got to switch audiences. It's, it's upsetting at this point. No, it's insulting. I mean, like, <laughs> it's insulting that no one cares. Now, I am doing a show this weekend with this is the only chance I have. Jocelyn Chia, uh, a stand up comedian in New York yeah. City, who's currently being canceled by yeah. Malaysia, the okay. country of Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. She's uh, American, but um, grew up part of her time in Singapore, has US citizenship. Uh, sing- they're, in Malaysia, they're currently protesting at the US embassy that for trying to get the American government to arrest her for things she said. <laughs> and the U.S. people, imagine these people who work at the U.S. Embassy, they're like, we don't do that. Who? I don't know yeah. how we work, but we don't arrest comedians. They're furious because in, in Malaysia, they can get comedians arrested. And I know people who've been arrested for things they've said on stage. Wow. And she made this joke about a Malaysian, the Malaysian Airlines flight, and it went viral, and now they want her in prison. And anyway, I'm performing for her this weekend, with her this weekend in Long Island, and she just texted me something about she's doing a Fox News interview right before that. That's so, so funny. So uh, I could you be canceled by the end of this weekend by Malaysia, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you have a chance. That's Can't good. go to Malaysia anymore? Big deal. You know? here's, here's the circles I'm treading in, all right? So I posted something maybe a year ago about how the word microaggressions is a word that I don't care for because it just means small behaviors that sometimes are harmful, but it's just a small behavior. And if yeah. anything, the word micro makes it sound like they're not consequential, even though they're small. And just I got because, so can much I say this for that? Yes, go ahead. Just because there are aggressions made by little people, we shouldn't use yeah. the term micro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got so much hate for that post because someone said that it was a microaggression of me to not <laughs> cite the person who invented microaggressions. And I didn't even uh. know that the guy, that it was a term one person thought of. I thought it was just something that we all evolved that, eventually. That and so does sound exhausting. That like it sucks. The, but, what, I'm what, out. I, what I have, I'm out. What, 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 what I, I, I get like the, the stuff that I deal with, which I don't mind, is I get like really esoteric fights people want to have. Yeah. Where like, like literally somebody sent me a letter a couple of days ago that was very nice, but explained why Lincoln was a horrible president because he suspended habeas court. Like people want to fight with me about Lincoln and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. this is, this is the thing I got to do. Fine. Fine. We'll fight about Lincoln. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. So we're going to, we're going to discuss, uh, uh, I'll, I'll get like emails that are like, you know, I've got a probing question on trade wars and we'll get into it, that kind of thing. But yeah, that, uh, oh, the word choice, that oh. does sound exhausting, Andrea. Yeah. That, and what, I, what just, a- I just Googled it. Maybe we end on this. I did. I just looked it up. The word microaggression was invented by um, one of the people in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, Turner, go get canceled. Let us know how it goes. We'll have another round table. Fantastic. Great all to right. see you all. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> 